Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. There we read a summary of God's word as follows. Since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits, where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 11, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, at this time of the year there are many signs that point to Christmas, to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The malls are decorated with Christmas trees and with bright lights, and so are many houses and the interior of people's houses. Christmas lights and Christmas trees abound. Even in this newly renovated building, we see signs of Christmas. We have poinsettia plants throughout, and also some little lights here and there, even some little Christmas trees. What are we to think of that? Some people are uneasy about it. Well, that is what Lord's Day 25 draws our attention to. For it deals here with the signs of the sacraments, and therefore also with the function of signs in general. The question for us this afternoon is, what is the significance of those signs? Can we use them? And if we do, how? How do they relate to us in this day and age? How do they help us gain a better understanding of the various signs that we see all around us? Note well, however, that the signs spoken of in this Lord's Day are directly connected to the word. For it mentions the preaching of the gospel before it mentions the signs of the sacraments. Why? What is the significance of that? I will preach to you about the relationship between the sign and the word. We will look at two things. First of all, the function of the sign and the word. And secondly, the benefit of the sign and the word. A moment ago, we read from the book of Judges. 
the well-known story about Gideon who wanted a sign from God. Gideon had been brought up within the covenant and within the community of God. Today we would say that he had been brought up in the church. He knew who God was and what he is capable of. He had been taught to know that God is the almighty God who can do anything. He had been told about the many miracles that he performed throughout the ages, especially how he rescued his people Israel from Egypt and performed all kinds of miracles in order to bring them into the promised land. He also refers to those miracles in the passage that we read. He knew all about the power of God. Gideon believed. No doubt that is also what we can say about ourselves. We believe. If you were to ask anyone in our church whether or not God is almighty and that he can do anything, then I'm sure that each one of you would say, yes, I believe that. He can do anything. Certainly the children of this congregation would also say that, wouldn't you children? Do you not believe that God in heaven can do anything at all and that God is very powerful? Of course you do. You are believers. And that is also what we can say about Gideon. Gideon was a believer. That is quite clear from the passage that we read. For when the angels spoke to Gideon and told him that the Lord is with him and calls him a mighty warrior, he engages in a lively conversation with him. He does not dispute that the Lord is speaking to him. He does, however, dispute what he is saying to him. For he asks, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? He is speaking about the suppression that Israel is experiencing at the hands of the Midianites. Gideon and the people don't feel safe, for the Midianites constantly plunder and harass them. And he wants God to do something about it, for he knows that God can do that. He is powerful, isn't he? But the Lord does not want to do that without involving Gideon personally. God easily could have done that. He could have sent fire from heaven to destroy the Midianites or to perform some other miracle. But no, he gives a task to Gideon. He involves him in his miracle. And that's where the difficulty comes in. For Gideon believed that God is asking him to do something that seems impossible. He just wants to be an observer of God's power, but he does not want to do anything himself. He just wants to be an onlooker. And you see, that's how we all are, aren't we? We know that God is almighty and we want him to act. As long as he doesn't put us in the picture directly. We believe that he can do anything, as long as it doesn't cost us anything personally. That's clearly the way it was with Gideon. God asks him to do something that seems impossible, for he tells him to go in the strength that he has and to save Israel out of Midian's hand. But then Gideon asked the Lord, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And then Gideon asks the Lord to give him a sign so that he can be absolutely sure that it is indeed God speaking to him. And the Lord God gives him all kinds of proof. First of all, he sends fire from heaven 
to consume the meat and the bread that Gideon had prepared. He also destroyed Baal's altar. But again, that was not enough for Gideon. He wanted another sign. And so the Lord gives him the sign of the wool fleece on the threshing floor. Why did Gideon need all those signs? Well, the answer is obvious because of the weakness of his faith. Gideon believed, he believed that God was speaking to him. He also believed that God can do anything, but he needed his faith confirmed. And that is why the Lord God also gives him a sign. The Lord God realizes the weakness of his faith. Lord's Day 25 introduces us to the signs of the sacraments. It introduces us to the reason for giving us the sign of baptism and of the Lord's Supper. They are given to us to strengthen us in our faith. For our faith is also weak, isn't it? Our faith also needs to be strengthened. And that is why we also have to use the sacraments faithfully. But note well that they are closely connected to the word. You cannot separate the word from the sign. The sign only confirms God's word. That was also the case with Gideon. The Lord God spoke to him. He told him what he was going to do. But then he also gives him a sign along with the word. He does that because of Gideon's weak faith. And we see that God does that throughout the history of redemption. Time and again, God gave signs for the confirmation of his word. After the flood, for example, the Lord God gave the sign of the rainbow. We read in Genesis 3, verse 12 and following, that he has set the rainbow and the clouds as a sign of the promise that he will never again destroy this world by the flood. He said that never again would the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds or in the skies, says the Lord God, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And because of the weakness of man's faith, does he give that sign. The Lord God also gave signs to remember him and his deeds. For example, he did that after Israel passed through the Jordan to enter the promised land. The Lord God had parted the water so that the people and the ark of God would not have the obstacle of the waters of the Jordan to impede their progress. But they needed a sign to remember that miraculous event. And so we are told in Joshua 4, verse 4 through 7, that Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. There are many other examples in the scriptures of the importance of the function of signs. 
Think, for example, of the blood on the doorpost of the houses of God's people when they were still in Egypt. The people of Israel were to take the blood of the slaughtered lamb and put the blood on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their houses. The Lord God says in Exodus 12, verse 13, that the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Think also about the sign of circumcision. That sign was given to remind God's people of his faithfulness and of the sin that had to be discarded, just like the foreskin had to be discarded. And the blood of the circumcision pointed to the blood of Christ. The sign of circumcision is full of symbolism. The Lord Jesus himself also used signs for the confirmation of the people's faith, for that is what he calls his miracles. They are signs. The Apostle John mentions the first sign of the confirmation of the people's faith in his gospel in chapter 2, verse 11. He refers there to the miracle that the Lord Jesus performed in changing the water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. It says there, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. His disciples put their faith in him. That sign that the Lord Jesus gave them functioned to confirm the word that was spoken to them. And that is always the function of signs. There are many signs associated with the Lord Jesus Christ, including signs that point to his coming. Think of Isaiah 7 verse 14 where we read, There the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That sign had its first fulfillment in the Old Testament to remind the people of the coming of Christ. And that sign bore fruit when the Christ was born. But the most significant sign that God gives to his people today are the signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The Lord God instituted them and expects us to use these signs throughout our lives. And these signs have many aspects to them. They have great significance. They recall what God has done in order to save us. They remind us of the death and the resurrection of Christ and what that means for us. They remind us of God's faithfulness throughout the ages that he keeps his promises. For he already promised to Adam and Eve after their fall into sin that he would save them and all of us from the evil one and from evil itself. These signs all point to the coming of Christ. And they are enormously rich. But they have to be used in faith. Only when signs are seen through the eyes of faith can they display their meaning and significance. And therefore it is not wrong to ask for a sign. When Christ spoke of the destruction of the temple, then the disciples also asked for a sign about the manner of his coming. They asked in Matthew 24, verse 3, When will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Matthew 24, verse 3. And then he tells them many signs that point to the coming of the last day. Why does he give those signs? He gives them so that they can be confirmed in their faith. He gives those signs 
so that he can be alert, as he says in Mark 13, verse 23. But when these signs are asked for in unbelief, then the Lord God becomes angry. And that is what we see in the passage that we read together in Luke 11. The Lord Jesus had just told the crowds before him why he performed those signs, those miracles. He tells them that they point to the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. And then a woman from the crowd called out to him and says to him, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. This woman was thinking about the miraculous signs of the Lord Jesus and of the great things he was doing. But then the Lord Jesus corrects this woman and he says to her, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You see, that is what it's all about. It is about the word of God. And those signs are only there to accentuate the word. And that is why the Lord Jesus goes on to say that this is a wicked generation because it asks for a miraculous sign. For they ask not in order to confirm their faith, as Gideon did, for example, and as others have done, but in order to prove God's truth, his very existence even. They are looking for a sign for the wrong reason. And that is why the Lord Jesus says to them that he will give them only the sign of Jonah. For the Ninevites believed and repented because they heeded the preaching of Jonah. They believed God. The Lord God does not want us to believe in a sign, but in God himself. And when you use the sign for that, then you are wrong. The sign only points to him and to his faithfulness. The sign on its own has no significance and as such has no power of its own. But that is what a lot of people think. And that is also the mistake that God's people often made throughout the history of redemption. Think about the sign of the ark of God. The ark represented the presence of God in their midst. The ark only pointed to his presence. But they treated the ark at times as if the ark was God himself. As if the ark had some power of its own. And that is why the sons of Eli took the ark with them in battle against the Philistines. They did so in disobedience. They thought that in this way they were actually taking God with them. They wanted a sign to do something. But the Lord God made sure that the Philistines beat Israel for that very reason. They had to put their trust in God and not in a sign as such. That is also the way the Roman Catholics used the sign of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which they call the Mass. They think that by receiving the baptism and by partaking of the Mass, that then you receive God's grace. It is through the signs that you receive them. But nowhere in the Bible will you read that. The sign in the Lord's Supper and in the baptism only point to the grace that is through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's also how the world of today uses those various signs. And that is what they do, especially at this time at Christmas. They use the lights and the decorations as having effect in themselves. They think that it is those various signs that will give them peace. But only God can do that. How foolish they are. Does that mean then that we cannot use the various signs that remind us of God's presence? Of course not. 
Just because the world abuses those signs does not mean that we cannot use them. The world uses the signs and the language that identifies Christianity to their condemnation. For example, they also take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on their lips all the time, but not in faith. They use the name sometimes even as a curse. And many people around us refer to themselves as Christians, where in reality they are not Christians at all, for they do not live like Christians. And they do the same thing with regard to the signs that point to Christ and Christianity. And therefore it is our duty to point this out to them and to give them the real significance of those signs and what it really means to be a believer. We can use, for example, the sign of the rainbow as a point of discussion with unbelievers that it is a sign of God's mercy. But somehow they must also receive the message that it is a sign of God's wrath as well. For the the rainbow reminds us of the flood that destroyed mankind, except for Noah and his family. And so we can use the various signs of Christmas to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and his first coming, and also to his second coming. We can point to them as long as we do that in faith. There is nothing wrong with using various signs that point to God and what he has done and what he will do. Christianity has used signs throughout the ages, including the sign of the cross and of the fish. They point to the real thing. They point to the suffering and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the sign of the fish, they confess Christ. For each letter of the Greek word um, is a fish. Echthus in the Greek is the first letter of the various names of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those signs can be and should be used as a discussion point as we deal with unbelievers. But the way we use them is to remind us of the spoken word, of what God has told us to accentuate the word, of what God tells us in the Bible. For the sign and the word should never be separated. They point to what God has done and to what he will do. And it's up to us to use these signs in faith and to help us explain the gospel. But that is where the shoe pinches. We have to put our faith not in the sign, but in God. The sign is designed to remind us of who God is and what he has done and will do for us. For they are given to us for our benefit. That brings us to our second point. In Genesis 6, verse 24, we read that Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. The Lord is Peace, Shalom in Hebrew. It can also be translated as rest. The Lord is rest. That is the conclusion that Gideon came to after the Lord had made his presence known. The Lord God promised to him that he would rescue his people Israel from the Midianites who were about to destroy them. He believed him. That gave him rest, that gave him peace, for he promised delivery from evil. And that is the promise that he has given to his people throughout the ages. He gave that to them them at Mount Sinai, for example, when he said that he is the Lord God who rescued, who saved them from the land of slavery, from the oppressive Egyptians. And that fulfillment was made a reality ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
God made promises to his people that he would rescue them from the evil one, from Satan, and from everything that he stood for and that he represented. For Satan represents turmoil and pain and sorrow. He represents hell. As members of Christ, we are rescued from Satan and from hell. The Lord God gives us the promise of the forgiveness of sins. He promises to us that he will make everything new, that he will save us from our sins and everything to do with sin. Doesn't that give you rest as well, brothers and sisters? Every day we struggle with our sins. Every day we are reminded in numerous ways of what sin has done to this creation. We feel it in our hearts and minds and bodies. We see it around us. We see it especially when there is a sudden death of a young person, as we have heard about today. We see the great turmoil that exists because of sin. But now the Lord God promises us that he will give us rest. And therefore the Catechism also mentions that word rest. It says in answer 64 that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. The empty cross reminds us of the rest that we may have because of the suffering, death, and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gives us great comfort. The Lord God rescues us from death, from impotence, from rebellion, from unfruitful and unfocused living. Through his Holy Spirit, he softens our hearts. Through his Holy Spirit, he gives us the assurance of eternal rest. There are many signs that point to that rest. Let us use those signs, brothers and sisters, and especially the signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which point to the wonderful creation that we receive through no merit of our own. Let us use that for the strengthening of our faith. But that is the key word. You have to use them in faith. Not as the world does. For this world is about to be destroyed. Only those who believe and who use the signs as God intended them, namely for the strengthening of their faith, will be saved. For it is through faith that we are saved. Let us put our trust in God alone. Amen.